Episode 16 That poor boy, Jackie said. What an awful way to die. Who would have thought the doll's mischievous grin concealed such agony? His legacy drives everything I do, said Ricker quietly. Molly gazed into Carl's black eyes. Carl, she said. Later, Jackie would wonder, without urgency, if this had been just a gurgle. Maybe Molly had said, girl, or even, Kyle. But at that moment, the utterance was nothing short of a miracle. Molly was only five months old. That was her first word, Jackie whispered. Molly turned to her and smiled, as if she had been prepared from day one to say it and was simply waiting for the go-ahead. Ricker did not seem the least bit surprised. He interlaced his fingers as Jackie shuddered from a sudden, fearful joy. Mrs., um, he said. Call me Jackie, Jackie managed. I would like to make you a proposition that involves your daughter. If you will allow me, I will send a car for you tomorrow morning and outline the full concept for you in my office. Tomorrow was Sunday. Jackie had wanted to take Molly to church again to show everyone how she had transformed. She was even going to let Pastor Mike think he had healed her, explaining that she'd gotten better over time instead of all at once like they'd expected. But as Melvin always said, the worst sight you could ever see was opportunity in your rearview mirror. Certainly, Mr. Ricker, Jackie said. Harry. Does that mean you're not coming in tomorrow? Melvin asked. No one answered him. Great. Sell Molly's soul to the man, Katie said. But no one cared what she said, either. It is impossible to describe just how much Kyle liked this kid, Enrique. Mr. Majeski, the seahorse has to be higher up. Have you ever seen a seahorse? I have, at the aquarium. My parents took me and my sister there when I told them about this project. You should go with us next time. What seahorses do, see, is they look down, like this. Enrique tucked his double chin into his chest. They swim vertically. Enrique clamped his arms to his sides and flipped his hands in small circles. Eyes never leaving the pavement, he trotted back and forth alongside the van. They don't look up, see? They can't. So if we put him down too low, then he has nothing to look at. I see, said Kyle, suppressing a grin. What a great, great kid this Enrique was. There was no act. What you saw was what you got. Total dedication. So here's what I'm thinking. Enrique whipped out a clean page in his sketchbook and mapped the seahorse's proposed location at the top back corner of the passenger side. Watching over everything like, said Kyle. In Enrique's sketch, the seahorse's eyes were large and docile, its fins like a bird's wings. The male seahorse carries the babies, not the female, Enrique said, and they mate for life. It's a very... Enrique tucked his sketchbook under his arm and knitted his fingers together. Intertwined relationship. Better make two of them, then, said Kyle, taking a bite of his Pop-Tart. Breakfast was catch-as-catch-can on this Sunday morning, but not because Jackie was rushing off to church or to Carl's Mart, as had been the case lately. Since last evening, she'd been getting ready for her meeting with Harry Ricker. She said his name like she was purring. Harry Ricker. The magic man who raked in billions every day and, incidentally, filled that gaping hole in Molly's heart in a way her father had never been able to manage. The house reeked of Jackie's hair dye. Katie appeared on the front stoop, drinking coffee, a sight Kyle could not get used to. She was too young for coffee. Of course, he had started drinking it at age nine. Sometimes his mom had splashed in a bit of her bourbon for a treat. Did he miss booze? Of course he did. Booze had made life easier. He didn't have to think about what he said or did. It all just flowed naturally. Now a layer of sandpaper had formed between him and the world. When he ran into friends from the missing link, he couldn't explain why he'd rejected them. For the sake of his marriage, he'd rejected their inescapable circle of drunken self-destruction that had once felt like camaraderie. But how could he tell them that? Hunter missed him, they said. He missed Hunter. 
He remembered the first time, more than ten years ago it had to be, that his former sergeant had taken him to the link to celebrate one of the rare busts, a couple of pothead kids, Kyle had not managed to mess up. At Walt's beckoning, the bartender had seemed to materialize out of the very shadows. In Hunter's massive hand, the beer bottle looked like something you'd get on an airplane. But Kyle's amazement at Hunter's size quickly gave way when he noticed the writing all over him. The man was a vast collection of words, a walking, breathing book. Over the course of many visits, Kyle gleaned the outline of Hunter's story from the regulars, but they knew very little. He'd been to Vietnam, he never went outside, the tattoos he gave himself served as memorials to the dead. Hunter himself said virtually nothing about anything, which seemed to cause others to pour their own stories into him, as if he were some kind of priest or a black hole. Kyle himself had offered such monologues on occasion, knowing that if Hunter ever said a word about his own life, Kyle's most painful struggles would seem like Saturday morning cartoons. "'What do you think of the van?' Kyle asked Katie, pointing with his cane. "'Pretty cool, huh?' Enrique had painted the body in iridescent blue that sparkled in the morning sun. The inside remained gutted. Kyle would get to work on that once the upholstered seats he'd ordered came in. He had gone with a light blue velour. Katie shrugged. "'When are we leaving? For Vegas and all.' "'What about school?' "'Fuck school.' "'Katie, language.' Katie's face brightened with amusement. She was not used to her dad playing father, Kyle thought. She probably figured he was trying to impress Enrique, who had such obviously excellent parents. His dad was a janitor at the high school, and his mom cleaned bedpans at a nursing home. Yet they took him to the aquarium, for research. "'What about the patients?' Kyle said. "'The guys can come with us. We'll be your opening act. We talked about this, remember? You have to go to school.' School's important. Come on. Now picture that limousine we spoke of earlier, the distillation of Morton's collective longings. As Kyle began lecturing the delighted Katie on the importance of education, that very limo, minus the robust man, rounded the corner of the Majeski Street. The sly reptile paused in front of every house, as if in mounting disbelief. A chain-link fence? A Camaro up on blocks? Lawn sculptures of a sombrero-wearing Mexican and his burrow? This has to be a mistake. At every pause, a screen door opened, a head peered out, a bathrobe or t-shirt flashed and receded. At last, the limo parked in front of the Majeski's place with its ragged lawn and dying maple tree and weird hollow shell of a van. The unemployed father in a Morton PD t-shirt and cutoffs, cane in one hand and pop-tart in the other, gawked at the emerging chauffeur. Majeski residence? the chauffeur asked, glancing at a card in his hand. Before Kyle even had a chance to nod, the screen door squeaked behind him, and Jackie alighted on the front stoop, carrying Molly in her car seat like a basket of flowers. She had spent the whole morning in the bathroom, so Kyle had not had a chance to notice until now. She'd gone blonde. She had piled that blondness into a coy, tousled bun like a bride's hairdo. She wore a yellow sundress with a white cotton sweater and teetered atop a pair of white stiletto heels. The clothes looked brand new. So did Jackie. "'Whoa,' said Kyle." He wanted to say she was beautiful, but if he told her that, she'd think he hadn't found her beautiful before. He had, but in a completely different way. Jackie threw a distracted glance at him and checked her hairstyle with her free hand. "'Coming,' she sang. 